0: That idea of if God wanted to do something big, I wanted to be in his team. I wanted to be like, pick me, you know, I wanted, that's what was in my heart. And this is what this group communicated to me is that God in fact was, was, wanted to do something big and and calling me to this adventure and wanted me. How can we transmit the truth of God and his church in a way that truly transforms lives?
1: How can we share the good news as an invitation to a great adventure, rather than as a series of rules to follow? In this episode, media missionary, storyteller, and co-founder of Real and True, Edmundo Reyes, shares how we can communicate church teaching in ways that reflect the signs of the times in the light of the
0: gospel. Catechesis is not opinion. It's not what I believe. And, and, And today, I think that for a lot of Christians, for a lot of Catholics, that are not necessarily living as missionary disciples. One of the reasons why they're not is because they, they don't like all the the opinion that is around that, you know, left and right and conservative and, and progressive because we're not presenting the faith with clarity as an invitation to encounter a God. And if we can produce a type of content that is as compelling and attractive as the secular media and and capture their attention and and use what we know, you know, as professional people that are doing communication marketing, right, and apply it to our faith, I mean, that's a huge win.
1: As Disciples of Christ, We're called to share the story of the never-ending love of God with every corner of the world in ways as compelling and attractive as the message itself. This is Living the Call. Edmundo Reyes, welcome to
0: the show. Oh, it's great to be here, Deacon. Thank you.
1: What a great uh, last name. Reyes. You can't go wrong with that, although it's got to be like quite the mantle to try to uh, <laughs> represent wherever you go, right? I know. The
0: kings. I know. Growing up, uh, I didn't think it was that popular, but uh, here in the United States, uh, it's quite popular. So It's a great name. Uh, we have a lot of Reyes uh, doing good work Are here. you?
1: Are you any, any relation to the other Reyes who uh, does Christ in the City in, out of Colorado? Do you know him? Doctor... No,
0: no, I don't. Oh, uh, well, Dr.
1: J. J. Reyes. You know what? I haven't met him. I'm I'm forgetting his first name right now, but um, he's the guy who runs um, an organization. Actually, Matt Meeks on the show last week brought him up um, called Christ in the City.
0: No, I don't know him. Uh, The other famous uh, Reyes that uh, does a lot of good work in the church now works for the... He was with the UCCB and now works for the um, uh, Knights of Columbus, so Dr. Jonathan Reyes. Yeah, and, that's, uh, what, he that's lived what I mean. in I th- Michigan. I think that's yeah, him. Yeah, he lived in Michigan. And uh, so everybody thinks that we're relatable, or we're not.
1: Yeah. It was like, I remember when I used to work at Disney, people would say, do you know, uh, you know, Fulanito de Tal, who like runs the, uh, you know, the, the ride in, uh, out of like, you know, there's 125,000 people that work there, in fact. So, so uh, no, there. I'm sure there's a number of Reyes, right?
0: That's right. The same thing happens when you say to people oh i live uh, you know i was born in mexico city and they try to connect people that they know in mexico city and it's like well there's like 20 million plus people living there so chances are that i don't i don't know
1: <laughs> a lot of people don't know how big mexico city is i mean i don't know where it ranks in terms of of largest uh cities in the world it's up there i mean 20 plus million people it's an enormous city
0: yeah it's it's uh one of the largest when i was growing up it was the largest or the second largest and I think we're still in the top five uh yeah just immense and it's vast and traffic almost makes it impossible for you to be connected to the different areas of the city so yeah it's a it's a it's a, a big big city it was big when I was growing up there but then sure it's gotten even even bigger
1: we have that in common that we both have had experiences with Mexico City even though I wasn't born there I um I, I always regard myself as Mexican you know from a formative standpoint uh, I was born in LA, my family's Colombian, but I I, I lived in, in Mexico from like three to seven. Mm. And so for me, I, I, it was such an incredibly formative cultural experience that I have this great affinity to, to Mexico, the Mexican people, the culture, the food, etc. But it's such a great town. I always encourage people, like, if you've never been to Mexico City, you should go.
0: Yeah, and you know what, uh, Deacon, my sister, she has a, a PhD in literature, Spanish literature, and then she did some research about how similar is uh, the LA culture. I know that you're in LA with Mexico City. Uh, and she, she compared that to Havana and uh, and Miami and how the, you know, the influx of immigrants have shaped a bit of the culture there, even though they're now in the US, uh, they still remain uh, connected to, to those two cities. Um, but yeah, Mexico City for me, I mean, it has, uh, I grew up there. I left when I was uh, 13, Twelve or thirteen, I can't remember, mm-hmm. and because I wasn't driving, <laughs> my, my my understanding of Mexico City is where I was, you know, what I where I could go like with my bicycle, and so it's a very limited. Right. It's like a half a mile radius that I'm very comfortable with, and uh, what I remember where my parents would take me. Um, but yeah, it's a I have good memories from there.
1: Funny thing about driving is it's one of those towns. Uh, as many cities as I've been. I've only been advised not to drive in two cities ever. And one of them is Rome and the other one is Mexico City. Yes. Now, funny, I've driven in both because I like to be, I'm very competitive at Mundo. So like when people tell me not to do it, that's the first thing I'm going to do. <laughs> but, uh, but, but no, Mexico City's got some uh, some interesting traffic oh, for yeah. sure. Keep oh, you on for your sure. toes.
0: Yeah, after it. So I moved, uh, I think, well, I shared this with you before, but um, just here for the audience. So I grew up in Mexico City, then I moved to Monterrey. Mexico, which is in the northeast of the country, it's an industrial city, the third largest city in the country, and um, and then that's where I learned how to drive, uh, and I got involved with this group there that um, you know Catholic group that would do campus ministry, and mm-hmm. and one of the the things that we did in, in Holy Week we would take trips to uh, different parts of the country and do some missions, right, some some retreats, especially during Holy Week, so we had to drive to a, a Guerrero uh, near Acapulco. And we went through Mexico City, and that was my first time driving. Uh, you know, I was like nineteen, twenty, driving through Mexico City, and I remember being so nervous. Uh, oh, and, sure. and like when I, I I crossed it, I was like, "This is a big accomplishment." Now I can oh, say yeah. I drove in Mexico City.
1: I remember the first time I drove um, in Mexico City. I was on a pretty big thoroughfare i forget which one it was but there was a person who was in front of me who clearly had missed their exit and then decided to back up in the middle of the inner like the interstate basically <laughs> just throw it into reverse and try to go catch oh, that yeah. uh, that exit i was like wow this is uh this is definitely a, a special place yeah no question um edmundo when you, when you uh, did you come from like a pretty uh, religious family H- how was your faith experience when you were coming up in mexico
0: yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good question, Deacon. So I'll say a couple things about that. So when I grew up, from what I remember, most of the people that I interacted with were Catholic or considered themselves Catholic. I know that has changed significantly. It's a much more secular city now. Uh, but when I grew up, I mean, you didn't have to ask. I mean, everybody you knew sure was Catholic. Um, so that's kind of like the environment that I grew up in. My parents sent me to a Catholic school, uh, with a Marist uh, um, religious order, and, and they're very well-known in Latin America, the, the Marist uh, uh, schools. So you have the Lasallistas, and then you have the Maristas, and it's like the big rivalry for soccer and sports <laughs> and all of that. Uh, so I grew up uh, attending Catholic schools. Sure. Um, my parents went to church, especially my mom, on Sundays, but uh, not consistently. Sometimes we wouldn't go. My mom has a a, a personal faith uh, and devotions. Um, My my dad was more culturally Catholic. So I grew up with a little bit of uh, inconsistencies there. Um, And and for me, the experience of faith was like knowledge. So I I was a very good student growing up and I liked uh, to learn and I was very good at it. So I was good at math and Spanish and social sciences and natural sciences and religion was one of our classes. So I remember learning a lot about the faith uh, about the bible but treating it as concepts so yeah. that's my experience growing up um you know the cultural component of it uh you know our our feast you know our our, our parties are connected to religious occasions you know that part of, of of thing and 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 for a lot of people that have grown up in mexico parish life is different than here where you really are not part of a community per se you go to whatever church is nearby you know at that time you know if you're a out there you know going out for for you know lunch you know dinner you know that's where you would go to mass so it's more of a kind of concept of the catholic church rather than parish life so that's kind of like my experience growing up it's like a spiritual gas station
1: you know what I mean? It's like whichever one's around when I need gas is where I, where I pull in. You know, the, the the funny thing about that is, I don't know how you would respond to this. I've shared this before. I don't know if, how often on this show, but I definitely have shared it before in my experience. Is that when I was coming up in Latin America, and like I said, I, I spent my formative years in Mexico, but then after that, spent some time in, in Venezuela and in Argentina and some other places, and I, I, I think I would put myself in the category of your dad in the sense of coming up a very cultural kind of Catholic, but the 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 comment that, or the maybe the insight as an adult that I've looked back on is this idea that when you're coming up in a Latin American context, the church, at least in my experience, and this is going back, you know, I'm, I'm not sure how old you are, I, I'm 48, but like this is going back to the, you know, 70s, 80s. When, mm. when, when I was coming up in those environments, the church was, yes, the faith was everywhere. The church was everywhere. Everyone that I knew was Catholic, um, you know, parish, you go into a restaurant, and they would have a little, a, a little alcove <laughs> with, you know, the little santos, there was crucifix, everybody was l- living that part of the faith. But the interesting thing is for me, in a way, because it was so pervasive, it kind of disappeared. It wasn't until I moved to the States, um, around the same age you did, frankly, uh you know kind of middle school high school that i felt like i had to pick that i had to self-select i am christian in whatever way that meant right and that was the first time that that the faith kind of like started meaning something to me even if i didn't acknowledge all the things that it taught and i didn't live it to the full i still had to like it kind of came out from the camouflage of what it where it had been and 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 i wonder and again this is reflections over two decades that i've had right so i'm not mm-hmm. uh, i wasn't thinking this when i was 12 or 13 but i wonder if if you can relate it all to that kind of experience uh, of yes the faith is everywhere but in a way the faith is invisible
0: yeah i think i think i have a very similar experience and i'll share more about my what i call my conversion story so that happened when i was 17 but from, you know, growing up in Mexico, I, I do remember certain things that were meaningful. For example, even though my dad would not go to mass with us every Sunday, uh, we would always go to a church, not even mass, sometimes just enter into a church on the last day of the year, so on, on December 31st. And my dad, I remember my dad kneeling and then just giving thanks to God for what we've received during that year. Um, so that was an important thing for him. Uh, that showed some sort of personal relationship with God, um, but outside of those things here and there, you know. For example, my mom has a great devotion to the Sacred Heart, um, so so she would have that. But outside of those things, it was mainly cultural, kind of like what you were saying. It wasn't necessarily at this at the center of my life. I wasn't orienting my life around around a God that wanted to love me and and ask me to love him back and serve him, you know, or invited me to that. So it was just just part of what we did. And so on, on the 31st of December, right, on last day of the year, we would go to a church and then we would give thanks, you know, and for certain things we would do that. So it's more traditions, routines. Yes, some devotions, yes, some faith, but nothing alive. Um, but when I was in college, so um, I I was a, a young freshman, I was 17 years old. And, and in Mexico, it's a bit different than here where Early on, you need to choose your career, right? Basically, you are enrolling into the university with, with a career in mind or a path. So, whether you, you want to be a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, you know, very specific careers. And from the very, very beginning, you're enrolled in that track. So, my track was uh, economy. And at that mm. time, uh, the, the politicians were moving away from law uh, to economics, right? The technocrats, right? So, from the 90s. And uh, and honestly, I picked that because of two things. Some of my friends ended up in that career path. That I I, I I'm also competitive, and they they were the smartest of my friends, and they all chose <laughs> that. And I, I felt like I can keep up with them or do better than them. Um, and then I I I liked that it was a, that intellectual challenge, right? So it was just very very yeah, you know, it's a difficult um, you know subject to study, economy. So I ended up there without really purpose, um, and and in that freshman year, I get invited to this retreat. And I, I, before you know, growing up and especially during high school, I had a very kind of active social life. So every weekend, I would be out right from Friday, you know, to Sunday. I'll always be doing something. But I remember not having anything to do, and and for some reason, I was open to going going on this retreat. At that time for me... Who, who invited you? Yeah, so this is a friend from high school that went through a similar experience uh, with his group. So mm-hmm. he was, wanted to share something that he experienced with me. At that time, Deacon, my concept of faith, so this is different from growing up, was that faith was for those that needed it. Like mm-hmm. it was these crutches, right? Like if you couldn't cope with life, if you weren't well-adjusted, faith was there for you. So it was a negative thing to have a strong faith. Um, and, you know, there's other things that I can share with you, but that was the main concept. But I ended up going to this retreat. This friend invited me and I was like, okay, I don't have anything to do. Maybe I can meet some people, you know. And uh, so I, I treat it as a social experience. Uh, so I signed up for this retreat. It's out of town. So they take us on a bus to this retreat site. And oh man, I was like, just like the most uncomfortable experience <laughs> ever. <laughs> The moment I got on that boss and they started doing some songs and some things. I just sure. Just you're w- like,
1: what did I do? Oh, Where
0: am I? Who are these oh, losers? Yeah. You know, I was just Absolutely. thinking like, this oh, is yeah. the worst decision of my life. And uh, and it was just, you know, the first hours on Friday. But there were a couple of things that struck me. So one is they showed the type of joy that I didn't have in my life. And they seemed to get along in a way that I've never experienced. And that really intrigued me to the point that I thought they were pretending. I thought it was this big act and throughout the retreat I was uh, like dead on like set on on trying to uh, find out what was going on here you know that this is kind of like a some sort of secret agenda they have something you know I was very skeptic of it but but clearly something was different from what I've experienced you know I'm very good at recognizing patterns and I just saw something that I've never seen, and I didn't believe it was real. Um, so that was one big thing during that retreat, and it's it's one it was one of those retreats, kind of like Cursillo, kind of like Life in the Spirit seminar type of thing, where the curriculum is preached to you. And I remember hearing these dogs. and I started to realize how they were talking about it was different from my previous experience. They were in concepts, but they were these truths, and uh, and and these truths were presented to me in a way that that had some relevancy with, with my life. So anyway, so those were the two things. So fast forward. Yeah, go ahead, Deacon.
1: I was going to say, and, and that idea of the way it was conveyed to you, the, the aspect, would it be fair to say that the aspect was also more relational, more about your individual role with this God and, and that sort of relationship you have with him was that, was, that, was that something you could conceive of in that experience?
0: That's exactly right, Deacon. I think you're, you're, you're um, yeah, you're, you're defining it correctly. The difference wasn't that this was new information. Like they weren't presenting anything that right. I hadn't heard. But yeah. the way they were presenting it to me was about these relationship that these God um, did these things for me, right? That, mm. that the salvation, I mean, they were communicating the salvation plan in a personal way. And I never thought about it in those ways, which is crazy, right? Because that should be the foundation of how we teach our faith. But um, but up to that point, I never heard that those truths, you know, of of, of the love of God and, and and what Jesus did in the cross for us, and the you know the Holy Spirit and the Church, you know, in ways that were relevant to me. So my takeaway during that retreat, or the big transformation that happened, right? So there was this moment in these retreats where you know you're asked to. Um, to take that step in faith, right? To, to actually, to decide, to choose, right? To follow Christ, and 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 I, I, I just by God's grace, I, I decided to be open, but in an unwilling way, kind of like, yeah, yeah I'll reluctant. do it. You know, you have sure. yeah, reluctant, mm-hmm. and, and and a lot of it, it was a cha- almost a challenge to God, right? If this if this is true, you need to kind of show me, because if it's true, this this changes everything. So shortly after the retreat, Deacon, so I started to attend the kind of the follow-up meetings. I was invited to come, and I was, and something started to grow deep in me: this curiosity and desire to learn more, to be more with these people. To I started to desire those things that were presented to me, and I started to, at some point, realize that these these people weren't pretending; they actually had this joy that came from God. They had these good relationships that were ordered. God. They had they had truth to offer. And the biggest thing was I, I took that step in faith of believing the things that I knew. And, and by believing, I mean, you know, if these things are true, then everything else changes. Like, like, if there is this God that loves me and created me for a purpose, everything changes. Like So that was a big step in faith that, that God invited me to take, you know, to really believe that that there was this God that loved me and had a plan for my life.
1: There's a a few words that don't translate well into English and that are just uniquely uh, perfect in their Spanish manifestation. And one of them is encarrilar, right? Like this idea <laughs> of being put on a track and then kind of following to this sort of next um, step. And I think about that In the sense of, you know, going back, you have your friend who takes this action, maybe is even a risk at that point, right? Because you're not attached, maybe even antagonistic to the faith. And maybe he perceives that, I don't know, but I'm just guessing. And yet he Mm -hmm. invites you to do this thing, right? Come and do this thing. So that in and of itself is a risk. Then you go and you have this, this experience. And then something is born inside of you that, of course, God is giving growth to and watering. And then slowly this sort of synchronicity takes over where you find yourself one more thing, doing the next thing, and, and being on that track of sort of, you know, following, uh, you know, the, the, the path that God is, that God is wanting you to, to follow and lead. And, of course, sometimes we go off and on that track. But the fact that you found it, right, you fi- find the beginning of the path— is is what I hear from from your story. I also think it's it, it really is a, a beautiful witness to the fact um, in what your friend did that we all have to take those steps of collaboration, right? I mean, it's not, it's not up to us. I'm not the one who gives the grace to you. I'm not the one who makes that flower and grow. But I can be the one who goes, hey, Edmundo, you want to come to this thing? Even if mm-hmm. it's a risk.
0: Mm-hmm. That is correct, Deacon. I think uh, what he did in my life, I mean... It changed the trajectory of my life, and, and you know, God could have used someone else, but uh, this friend Carlos uh, decided to
1: great name to share. by the
0: way. I'm just yeah. saying, <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, he shared this great gift that he himself received, and that's what evangelization mm-hmm. is about. When it comes down to it, I think that sometimes we overcomplicate it, but evangelization is about that. It's about receiving a gift and sharing that gift out of the the uh, out of a spirit of gratitude, out of a spirit of. Understanding the value of what you have, right? So, I mean, it comes from valuing first the gift of our faith, and then once you you see that the response needs, you need to be compelled, right, to share that with others, just because this is so good, It's so much better than than not having it, and and then you're compelled to do it. So, so that's what he did, and I'm I'm forever grateful for him uh, for taking that step in faith and inviting me to this retreat and and uh, and being an agent of God's grace.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, this idea of sharing that beautiful gift that we have in our faith is definitely something that I see in what I've learned about you has been, you know, operating as a major driver and using your skills and talents and the things that you've learned as a way to share that. When we had our, you know, kind of initial call, you characterized this idea of focusing on the love that never ends. I really thought that was really. A beautiful way of encapsulating, you know, what that gospel message, you know, you talk about charisma, you talk about relationship. Well, what is it that we're entering into relationship with? Well, we're entering into a relationship with the love that never ends. And it's such a, you know, using language and this this ties up to a lot of the work that you're doing now with real and true, which which I definitely want to touch on. But this idea of re-expressing truths for the moment. In the moment we're in, right? The sort of by the the light mm-hmm. of the times, you know, uh, or the light of the gospel, right? But in the times that we're in, is is something that I think about when I when I hear something um, like the love that never ends, because that is not a let's say terminology that I've run into in most, certainly catechetical, apologetic, uh, other circumstances. But it is fundamentally the truth and how attractive that is, especially in the context of 2021, the U.S., mm-hmm. you know, the love that never ends. And I was like, when I, when I first heard you say that, I was like, wow, that's really beautiful. But it's also very now. You know what I mean? It's very mm-hmm. like this moment. And it, yeah. it's, just, it's just really good. Those modalities of what you're doing today, I think, are evident in that
0: phrase. Oh, well, thank you, Deacon. I appreciate that. Yeah, uh, so a couple things, you know. I wish I would have come up with that great language or that great phrase, <laughs> but it is part of the catechism, and we'll talk more about that. There's so there's this project that I'm working on around the catechism and trying to align catechetical uh, practices or catechesis, I guess that's the correct term, to to its its intent, which is to to help people encounter this love that never ends. But that's that's part of the catechism. I, I think it's paragraph 25. But but interestingly enough, right? So this retreat that I attended the first talk is god's love right um, i mean it, it it is that's the that is the, this is this is that's the message right that's the gospel message the gospel message is that love, god loved us right first um, that god loves us despite of our shortcomings and sins that, that that's the most important truth that sometimes we lose track of right and and we need to keep coming back to it um, so that was certainly what happened you know connecting all these stories that I knew, all these concepts that I knew growing up and you know in Catholic school uh, to that connecting it to that love that never ends to this God mm-hmm. that wanted to uh, to share to, to make me aware of that great love that he had for me and and then there's a response right when you understand how much you're loved, I mean you 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 change the way you think about things and, and your own existence and also, what you would like to do in the future. So so the other thing, Deacon, just to connect it a bit to, you know, what I'm doing now to back to that moment when I was in that retreat, or after that retreat, or the months after that retreat, is that I really felt like I put in my heart these these kind of calling. And and this is before being a missionary is, is kinda of like cool, right? Like like the church wasn't <laughs> talking in those terms, you know, right. like this is a few years ago. I'm I'm you know, i was i was 17 back then you know i'm 40 uh 44 now so uh, this is uh, some years ago but i i i i felt the call to be a missionary to be to be sent to share this message of love with others and and i felt a strong calling of doing it in a professional way that i hadn't seen before in the church so in my mind as a 17 year old kind of cocky and like i know it all i was like okay the church has this beautiful message the most important message the message that changes everything right but we do a terrible job uh sharing that with people we don't present it in a way that is attractive or relevant so i decided that the rest of my life and especially all my gifts and talents and professional career would be about that of sharing the the gospel message in a professional way so i ended up switching from economy to communications. And I know that you also you can have a, a degree in communication. So I do. And in my mind was, hey, we need to do this in a in a better way. And I want to do everything that I can to share the gospel. So since then to now, I've I've been doing that. I've been either doing missionary work, um, especially helping college students encounter Christ in different parts of the world, you know, Latin America and, and the United States and a bit of Europe. But but most of my career has been about that intersection between mission, communications, and marketing. So that's the sweet spot and, that has, God has and called you, me to, to be. And
1: you had that realization in Mundo when you were seventeen, eighteen at that age?
0: <laughs> I know. That's just God put that in my in my it's heart amazing. and my mind and and uh and I just decided to change change the what I was going to do. And I remember mm-hmm. not like go ahead, Deacon, sorry.
1: <laughs> no, I was just gonna. I was just gonna affirm that. That that's actually what an incredible grace at that age to be so convicted about something and of course you're right. Look, one of the things that actually struck me about what you've said and written is this idea of relevance and doing things in a compelling way with impact. You even at one point referred to something as packaging, which I thought is like, wow, that's a really kind of controversial, which by the way I love, you know, those kind of controversial thoughts, but it is. And we've been pretty bad at that. Even though you've got the most amazing product, you're not really a good marketer.
0: Yeah. No, I think I think that's one of the challenges that we have and how do we talk to these age, right? These generations in a way that is relevant to them, that we present faith in a way that is attractive. And, you know, and that's, those are some of the principles on this project, Real and True. A um, mm-hmm. couple of things that I would say, Deacon, just so so we sure. can move into these other thing that I would love to share with you and, and your audience. But, um, you know, when you, when I look back at, at my conversion story, right? One of the things that really, that the people that, that, that God used to, for my conversion the people that were behind this retreat and the people that that accompanied me after the retreat and and for those formative years you are in college one of the things that they did they do and they did so well was this idea of of young people are attracted to high ideal so this is very you know john paul ii right like these you know um, it, it, we are attracted to these big dreams and big adventures and and when we present that to young people and, and everybody you know it just changes everything that you're called to something so big and so noble and so glorious and then immediately your heart resonates with that you know immediately because you were created for that all of us not just me but all of us were created for these big ideals and 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 if you've never been invited to that type of adventure before I wasn't it, it was just like like winning the lottery right like like for being sure. picked for something big, and this image that comes to mind is you know you know and I grew up in so I went to this Catholic school and it was an all boys school, and I was very I was very smart but I wasn't very athletic. So when it came down to recess and they had to pick teams, I wasn't you know picked you know you have two captains and they start picking from all your friends and I was never uh, picked first. So I just didn't want to get picked last. But but that idea of if God wanted to do something big, I wanted to be in His team. I wanted mm-hmm. to be like, pick me, you know, I wanted, that's what was in my heart. And this is what this group communicated to me is that God, in fact, was was wanted to do something big and, and calling me to this adventure and wanted me. So that was like honoring. That was like, again, when this cool kid picks you to play dodgeball or soccer or basketball, you know, like For feeling sure. like like part of a team. So in this case, the team is a church that has this beautiful mission of sharing the gospel message with others.
1: And, the, and in this case, it's the coolest kid that can pick you. <laughs> yes. you, know what I, you know what I mean? But uh, but what a great modality, right? Adventure. Um, and it is not only for a, each person personally, but you're also part of this great adventure, this tapestry of salvation history. And it is personal to your point, right? It is each of us has a particular role to play in that salvation history when you when you preach in mundo as and i know preaching is not j- does not just happen inside the context of a mass but in the case of clergy you know we t- we preach a lot in mass and i can tell you that one of the thematics that i hit on very often is that idea of the unique role each one of us can plays in salvation history the fact that there's no the fact that we bro- we both woke up and are breathing today is because we're not done playing that role, right? But for a young person who feels, here's another great word in Spanish that doesn't translate, desubicado, right? This, that, that, that may feel out of sorts in life. Like, where do I fit? Where do I belong? The reality is that you fit so perfectly in a very specific role that only you ever could ever, only you can play ever in history, in the history of the entire universe, right? And so that invitation, that idea of come to this great adventure, come take this incredible step is such a powerful modality. And it's such a gift that you're able to kind of hit on that as, as a young person yourself, right. At least the time and kind of like start developing this.
0: And that's been the, the theme of my life, Deacon of, of, uh, leaning into these calling, right? Like, so it called to this adventure. Yeah. Um, understanding this noble cause, this great cause to to live for and die for, and then finding your place in that story and then leaning into that, right? So there were moments, of course, right? And, and I think everybody, every every disciple of Christ goes through that, where you second guess, you know, what am I doing here? You know, I'm not where I should be because you don't see the whole plan. You only see the portion that you're living in. Um, but that's where you need to trust and lean in, you know, into this calling and understand that God has something for you. So that's a little bit of the progression for me. So I went mm-hmm. from, from, you know, being this student on fire on campus that I just wanted to evangelize and share this gift with others to then doing that full time. So I ended up doing missionary work and then eventually moving into publishing. So I ended up with this publisher uh, based in Maryland, The Word Among Us, that have this publication well. yeah. uh, around the, the world, really. Uh, where I learned a lot, and then eventually brought into this archdiocese that is a very mission-oriented diocese, and and now I find myself as a communications director for for a great archbishop that has the, has mission first. Right when he thinks of his work, we have mission first. So so it's been this like just signing up, you know, like I was picked by <laughs> in this by this cool kid for this team, and then just trusting that God will put me in places where. He's gonna use me not because I'm great, but because of his grace and power, and and uh, and it's just uh, that it continues to be a yes, right? It needs to be a yes, and trusting that that God will help you in in your calling. And uh, so I've seen a lot of doors open. You know, most recently this project of of real and true mm-hmm. that God put in my heart really like six seven years ago. So I, I um, the story of that is you know, and it's connected to these themes that we're talking. You know, I ended up. Um, so I, I love the intersection of marketing, communications, and, and the, the evangelization, right? So that space. So someone shared with me these these uh, videos from the Bible Project, and and this is a, this is not a Catholic ministry.
1: Is that the uh, one? In, is that the one in Oregon in Portland? It's all illustration, like that's it right. does. Like that's beautiful stuff. Yeah, I I, I really I, I've actually thought about getting those those guys. I think there's two guys. Actually inviting them to be on this show, but it's super compelling stuff. I mean, it must take forever to do those illustrations, but I mean, it's amazing.
0: (laughs) They are brilliant. So the two of them ended up going to this Bible college. They have a great story. I ended up traveling there. I flew to Portland and spent some time. Oh, really? Okay. And uh, so they were like, they went to this college, uh, you know, Bible college, Multnomah, uh, Multnomah College, and, uh, and they took this class with this one professor that taught them exegesis. And they basically use those concepts, uh, one of them, to form these agency of explainer videos. Right? So they use kind of like the way to, to break down complex things and present them in a,
1: and in it a does. simple way.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then they use that for these explainer videos. And then the other one ended up doing a PhD at University of uh, uh, Wisconsin-Madison on, uh, on biblical scholarship. Um, but they ended up teaming up, and then they they had this idea. You know, I, I think, Deacon, you, you you also like this type of stuff because it's leadership and it's clarity and it's vision. But their mission statement or their mission is, you know, we believe the Bible is one unified story from beginning to end that leads to Jesus and has wisdom for the modern world. And when I found out about the mission and found out about this ministry, I was like, these guys that's are it. good, you know. Yeah, I mean, for you talk sure. about that packaging or that presentation. I mean, that's clarity, oh, right? That's clear. That's something that people can buy into, right? And uh, and so the they innovation out- too, and in yeah. the
1: innovation of how you actually combine these media of you know illustration as we're telling this historical. These historical, you know, truths, right? Or these yeah. or, or these stories from scripture and actually combining those in what is a very simple but elegant kind of approach that after a five, six, seven minute video, you can walk away and have a great amount of understanding and knowledge and connection with, you know, Ezekiel or, you know, yeah. Job or whoever it may be, where you had zero coming into it. I mean, that is a really effective means of communicating. Yeah
0: that is that is correct is how do we translate all these years of scholarship right on on biblical scholarship to something that is accessible for people in these six to seven minute videos right so they use the innovation they use this knowledge and they they apply it so they have this great ministry so they build this resource so of 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 videos this excuse me this library of, of videos that help people learn how to use the bible how to read the bible how to pray with the bible so it's very helpful um, and uh, you know, and for our brethren, brethren a Christian and Protestant, you know, brothers and sisters, that's so important to them. So, so it's a great ministry. So back then, so this is six, seven years ago. You know, they were already very good, but they were small. They only had like fifteen people in their team, and in a basement of a church. And I visited them, but I try to learn a lot of their, you know, their mission and why, and and also like their creative process and all of that. So. So I flew back really with a desire in my heart of doing something like that for the church at some point, if God permitted me that. So it was just like something that got planted. But after that, there was this experience I want to share with you, Deacon, that really, really kind of close the deal for me. So I came back and I, I was in my living room and I have four children, so I have one daughter and, and three boys. And at that time they were younger, so this is six years ago. and. Uh, I was watching a series of their videos, the, the the Wisdom series. So this is Wisdom, Job, and Ecclesiastes, right? And I'm watching these very short videos, and then one of my sons come, comes and sits down with me on the couch. And then I have the other one, and then I have the other one. So three out of my four children are with me on the couch watching this video on the screen, right, with Dad. And we watch the first one, and they say, Dad, let's watch the next one. And then they we watch the second one, and they say, Dad, let's watch the third one. So the three of us, sorry, the four of us are watching these videos on my phone. And at the end, my son, my oldest son says to me, dad, I feel like I learned more from these videos than all my years at religious education.
1: Yikes. Wow. Wow. That's one of those moments of uh, personal inflection, right? It's an insight moment that you can tell is already going to change the course of your of your life, right? It's a, a little bit of a mic drop moment.
0: Yeah. And you know, you're a, you're a father and 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 so you know and and uh, I mean it was both two feelings really like frosting, right? Like one was of uh, a little bit of like disappointment and and sorrow that we were letting these young people down, right? And I have a good parish, so nothing wrong against my parish or nothing against my parish. But like 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 he wasn't necessarily connecting with this beautiful message of salvation. And uh so there was something wrong there on 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 Sunday school, right? Catechesis. Um but then the the other thing was a lot of hope that if we do it well, I mean this this is a powerful message. It captures people's imagination. It captures people's attention. My three children sat to watch the three videos. so there's so it's it's really on us. It's on us the today's disciples, apostles, right? To the church, to do a good job of of presenting these beautiful truths, this beautiful message to the next generation in a way that is compelling to them.
1: Everything that you just said, you've kind of crystallized in a bit of a vision statement around this newest project, real and true. Right, And I can see everything that we've just chatted about reflected in that, this idea of a group of dreamers and builders, disciples and catechists, strategists and creatives who believe in creating content that helps women and men encounter that love that never ends. It's definitely evident. I can see the makings of that video series, the experience with your kid, your marketing background, communications, even a little bit of economics. Who knows? Thrown in there, but you can see that kind of encapsulated in that. It's a very—I mean—it's a very big vision, right? But it's a very important one, um, in particular because of the moment, the time and place that we're living in today, and what what this this church here, right? Our local church needs.
0: That's right, and there's two things that you know when you look at the current landscape, you know that I can point out, and, and you know they're connected to our target audience. Um, so one of them is uh, you know shortly after this happened, I was reflecting on 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 what my son said to me, and one of the things that uh, stood out is is this idea of how we learn. So when I grew up, uh, if I wanted to learn something, and, and I'm not talking about being asked to learn something because that's school, right? But when you on your own. When you have curiosity, right, intellectual or spiritual, you know, how would you go about learning something? How would you be about satisfying that curiosity? And for people our age deacon, I mean, you had either to go books or talk to someone, right? And and we didn't have social media, we didn't have like the internet, you know, we would actually have to find a book that would have the concepts that we we're looking for, the the information that we were looking for. Or we would have to talk to someone, right? Like your dad, your uncle, your mom, you know, your older brother, you know. Um, you know so, you know, if you, needed, you wanted to learn how to change the oil, right, in your car, you, you, you would have those two things. You either read a manual or you would actually talk to someone. But it seems to me that that has changed or that has expanded. So those two things are still valid. But the majority or, or the way that young people learn now, it's all about, like, finding that online, right, and finding especially videos. So my son, Javier, um, he likes gaming, and he built from scratch a gaming computer, right? And oh, how, wow. how he went about it, he just watched some YouTube videos. YouTube, yeah. Like, I have no idea how to do that, so he didn't ask me. He didn't ask a, his older brother. He just went and on his own, had that curiosity, wanted to do something, and then just watch a bunch of YouTube videos. So we have that opportunity as a church, right, that people are searching, right, searching for these big questions, right? They have this curiosity that is really that, that restlessness, right, that, that is in our hearts. And can we create a type of resources that would satisfy that curiosity, that would actually serve them in that path in that journey? So that was one of the things that I, I, I think it's kind of like important. The, the other thing is, you know, the, the experience of a lot of us Catholics and catechesis. So for us, for a lot of us, the faith was communicated to us as a set of rules, a set of concepts that we needed to learn. Um, concepts that were not connected, you know, uh, and they were not connected to the love that never ends, which that's what catechesis should be. They weren't presenting in the light of Christ and Christ, what he did for us. They were just presented to us as, these are the things you need to memorize to do your first communion or your first, or your confirmation. So when we think about catechesis and the catechism, that's what comes to mind. It's a textbook. It's this, this very big, you know, intimidating, um, Thing and 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 what we want to do is transform that, so repackage that concept, rebrand the catechism into what it is, which is the faithful echo of a law, of a God that wants to love us and share that love with us. Um, so so that's what catechiza is is echoing down. It's is this echo that that starts from the early moments in the church. Now that it starts with really with Jesus communicating us the plan, the plan for our lives, and and we want to do this in a faithful manner, right? So. Uh, that's, that's really a lot of the motivation behind Real and True is to, to be able to, to, to present the faith in a way that is beautiful and captivating and relevant for these audiences through video because we know that's what people want to consume nowadays in a way that helps them in their, in their journey right of discipleship and encountering the Lord. So it's not the end solution, but it can help that movement in, in the right direction
1: two things that i can attest to from what you just said one is the idea that learning has evolved my one of my sons uh, who's 18 now like yours was a big gamer um uh, in the beginning he used to play mobile phones and he liked uh, on mobile phones rather he would play um uh, aviation games he liked you know flying games and he even, we would even spend hours on i don't know if you've done this with with your kids but with on google earth And on Google Earth and the globe, there's actually a dropdown that's flight mode. And you can actually fly over these different areas. Anyway, we spent hours doing that. And then at one point he said, well, he started watching videos on YouTube about aviation. Then he started um, watching videos on YouTube about the air traffic control community and how they talk to each other and all the verbiage and the back and forth. And before you knew it, he he came to his mom and me and said, you know, I'd like to be a pilot. And at 14 years old, Edmundo, he took his first flight. He flew a real wow. airplane at 14, having never <laughs> read a single book about aviation. And the insight that dropped for me at that moment was that competence, in a way, had been decoupled from literacy. And mm-hmm. maybe that's like a first in history, in a sense at least for something as complex as commercial air travel. The other thing that I can attest to is what you said about um, the way that things were conveyed to us in the past in a kind of catechetical uh, you know, construct. I remember when I was doing, I still remember this, by the way, talk about God giving you graces. I remember my first communion. I was We were living in the Virgin Islands in St. Thomas and the facilitator, the, the catechist, I don't know who this person was, I don't remember who the person was, but I remember them telling us Here's what to do during what part of the liturgy, but never why, and even saying things like you th- that we had to kneel at some point, and and you kneel how long you kneel until the box. This is the tabernacle. The box gets closed. That that was litur- that's what I remember. That's the the seed in my mind that I remember from this person. God bless them for whatever their intentions were, <laughs> but so this very transactional rote. You know, kind of thing, right? So, and 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 how that that probably has never worked, but it certainly mm-hmm. doesn't work
0: today. Exactly, and you know, I, I had the same experience. I remember doing my first communion, and you know, with uh, some nuns prepare us, and they gave gave us these pamphlets of all these questions and answers that we needed to memorize. So. And it was nerve wracking, Deacon. Like I remember, like being afraid that I would not say the right answer, and then they would deny first communion to me. And and that experience of the faith, I think, it unfortunately is 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 uh, pervasive, right? Of of this idea of of having to memorize certain things, but not how it's connected. No, why we do what we do, and how yeah. this all leads to this mystery of love, right? This love that never ends. So how do they, it's really connected to, you know, like right now there's like, so when you look at uh, the landscape, so let's just talk for uh, catechesis for a moment. There's a few things that are important and you could see God's grace present in the church, right? So uh, the church gave us just last year the the directory, the new directory of catechesis. And part of that is this document on how to do catechesis, right? Like how do the church should go about it? But you start introdu- they started introducing these these concepts of it needs to be charismatic, it needs to be based on the gospel, it needs to be missionary, it needs to be about encountering Jesus. So, so these different approach that that really tells us that catechesis and evangelization are not two separate things, but it's the same. In fact, catechesis was a term that the church has used from the beginning of time to now in terms of the communication of the faith, right? It's a more ancient term, more than evangelization. So that is the, the basis of it. Um, you know, next year we'll be celebrating the 30th anniversary of the publication of the catechism that we currently use. And this is a great gift that we have in the church because amazing, it's, you know, catechesis is not opinion. It's not what I believe. And 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 today, I think that for a lot of Christians, for a lot of Catholics that are not necessarily living as missionary disciples, one of the reasons why they're not is because they they don't like all the, the opinion that is around that, you know, left and right and conservative and, and progressive and and you know, and because we're not presenting the faith with clarity as an invitation to encounter a God and, and and it's more about like the the differences and the different point of view. So so I, I think that God is 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 calling us now to to really rediscover the catechism in light of 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 this new approach of evangelization and, and something that is relevant. Uh, to, the, to the, 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 the divisiveness that we see, the polarized world that we see today. So I, I really think that this project is going to help in that sense. Uh, so that's why we we're setting out to do 48 units. So basically we broke down the catechism into 48 units. And each unit will cover a section of the catechism. And we'll have different videos for each section. But the idea is to help people um, rediscover in a way their faith, unlock the faith, unlock the catechism through these resources that are compelling to them.
1: It's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing resource, at least from the little that I've seen of it. And I, I do want to talk about that. Before I do, though, just one thought. One of the other things that you because th- these different approaches, these kind of polarized camps, this kind of division, you know, conservative, progressive, et cetera, All of this duality that exists, right? Or maybe even division. To your, is this nestled within a broader uh, system or, or or construct? Because what you said to me at some point earlier, you mentioned this idea. Not here, but before when we talked, is this idea of kind of two ways of looking at things, right? This sort of are we is is mission and evangelism and the gospel and our role in it? Is it about a battlefield that we're out there trying to sort of win a struggle? Or is it like a field hospital, right, or a mission field where it's about Mm -hmm. encounter and all this other stuff? This idea is definitely true, that there's people in either one of these camps in a very entrenched way sometimes, right? And now there's obviously truth in both of them, but it's us reconciling the fullness of that spectrum is what makes us Catholic. But do, do you think that there's some of that at play in these things that you just described?
0: Yeah, I, I think Deacon that we need to be attentive to the science of the times and what the church is got, you know, saying about them and, and in this case what Pope Francis has been, you know, kinda like um saying about about where we are, you know. Um so sometimes you need to trust the church, right, rather than our own kind of eyes or our own preferences, right? On on where do we see things and so I think there is these two ways of viewing evangelization and the work of the church, right? One would be of one of preservation, right? And, and there's a lot of literature out there. There's this beautiful book, right? You know, from Christendom to Apostolic Age and all of that, that. Talk about that. So I'm, we're starting to see that that difference, right? But when you think of if you think of the work of the church as protecting, defending the faith from all these attacks from, from you know. From the outside, you know, and you need to preserve it. So you, you you set up things differently, right? Or you set up things accordingly, I guess. Um, and that's a lot of that. The culture wars, right? Like where we we felt that at one point in the church, that's what we were doing, and that that was what God was calling us to do. Um, it seems to me, from 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 reading Pope, Pope Francis and what he says, and also kind of like trying to do my best at discerning the the, the science of the times, that that we're like in a different era now like we're in an yeah. era where we've lost some of that kind of culture war and and it's more about like you know meeting people where they are at and then helping them see um you know the the that there's this truth and this beauty and the faith that we have that we can share with them and it's about encountering and walking with people and it's just this idea of the missionary joyful missionary disciples right where where we're going out there to meet people where they are at and through our actions and our love um, bring them bring them into this communion with, with, with Christ and his church. So it's a different approach and it requires a different language. So it's less about, like, for example, for the work that we're doing, it's not about here is what the church teaches and you need to believe it, but how do we introduce that in a way that is is accessible to them? So we're using, for example, in, in, in our videos observation of the natural world. We're using science examples as a way to 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 speak their language, right? To meet them where they are at. So they could see then after that that there's truth and beauty and wisdom in what the church teaches. Uh, So it's that approach rather than more like on your face apologetics. Nothing wrong with that, but it needs to be a different
1: context, yeah.
0: Done in a different way, I think to be effective. Especially with with younger generations that they they I mean they still have the same desires and needs that other generations had. It's just that they're gonna receive the contents of of, of our faith differently, just because of the world they're exposed to.
1: I also like the way that you use some of your learning in the social space as well for the creation of this content, and you use questions quite a bit. And you also use questions that are broader in scope than just the actual catechism, you know, um, itself. Uh, you know, one of the early, one of your first videos. I mean, this whole initiative is just weeks old, right? So, but one of your um, mm-hmm. one of your first videos is this idea, this question of like, well, what if we didn't have maps, right? What if maps didn't exist? Well, look, I don't care who you are. It, you might be interested in that answer or what your background is. But in watching that piece, not only is it factually interesting and and, and, and just a good, compelling piece of content, but ultimately it leads you to a truth, which is, you know, th- th- this idea of, uh, you know, guidance and, and um an accompaniment that the church can give on a journey, which is the pilgrimage that we're all actually on.
0: I think you're absolutely right, so there's this uh, right way of doing catechesis. there's a you know or not a right way. that sounds you know very um, you know there's a better way sometimes of doing catechesis. So we're using so in this project, we wanted to do a few things. We wanted to to marry best practices of digital storytelling and we can go into that in a minute, but also with sound catechesis. So sound catechesis, you know, you know, who are we gonna learn from? Well we're gonna learn from how God communicates faith, you know, his message to us, right? So so what's the ecclesial method, what's the divine pedagogy? So if you think of it, you know, God always prepares us to receive the message. So think of the birding bush or the angel appearing to Mary. There's this moment of cap- capturing our attention before we actually hear the content of what God wants us to do and believe, right? So there's this preparation stage. There's this, and we call that the proclamation moment. So in this video that you're referencing, right, the, the idea of MAP, so the concept that we wanted to communicate to people is the life of man is to know God. Our life, not man, but human humanity, the life of every human person is to know God. Because that's what the catechism teaches, right, On the first 25 paragraphs is the main concept. So we we instead of just saying that how do we how do we approach that topic in a way that people are going to be willing to listen. So we 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 came up with this idea of maps, you know, and and why do we have this desire to making maps and why are we fascinated with with making maps and 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 the opening scene of the video is actually the the Mars rover images that we got just a few months ago, you know, very recent. So trying to connect it to things that are relevant, right? Like well, why are we mapping Mars? You know what's behind well, the desire and we interview these a professor of psychology too from a university in southern louisiana to talk about that desired of, of map making and and then towards the end of the video and i don't want to give up like the whole story here for your listeners to go and and, and watch the video in realtru.org but um but then it, at the at the end though, there's a moment that we talked that the first maps were about the heavens not of, of earth which is very interesting so that that knowledge alone is just you know, and that's thinking, when, you know. and that's
1: when the piece kind of pivots, right? And it starts yeah. kind of pointing you in that direction. No, it's yeah. super, super well done. And in fact, you know, one of the things uh, that I've I've talked to other people about it who are involved in content and marketing and media is that if we understood the faith journey as a marketing funnel right and mm-hmm. we started to um discreetly you know attack even though that's very very secular kind of way of looking mm-hmm. at it but nevertheless it's how you would talk if you were at wherever nike or ford if you look at ways to attack each, each segment of that funnel one of the things at the very top of that funnel is how people come into a conversation or understanding of faith at all and i think stories like the ones you're telling occupy that first or to, or second or third step in a way that I'm not seeing a lot of people do it, because I think most of our first steps, has, you know, have been you know more to, more the apologetic or, or more traditional mm-hmm. catechetical way, and and again in the, the the sign of the times, right, by the light of the gospel, indicates that those things are not going to necessarily work as well today. So yep. I also mm-hmm. like it as evidence of this kind of like new way to program the top parts of that funnel. I think that's mm-hmm. another really uh, important benefit of what you're doing.
0: No, you're you're absolutely right. So it's 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 learning how to how to communicate the faith using what we know that works. You know, when I showed the videos to my children, now six years, fast forward six years, why right? they're teenagers now, and after uh, my son watched that maps video, he said the he gave me the biggest compliment he could have ever given me. He didn't know that, but he says Dad, this video looks like Vox Media. Yeah, for sure. And I was like, "Yes, that's right." You know, yeah,
1: exactly. You, you're you're able to be held up to a contemporary peer. Yeah, yep. if we
0: can produce a type of content that is as compelling and attractive as the secular media, and and capture their attention and and use what we know, you know, as professional people that are doing communication and marketing, right, and apply it to our faith. I mean, that's a huge win, right? So it's mixing or marrying the sound catechetical um, methods with sound. Digital storytelling and putting the two together to serve this mission of of retransforming uh, the, the 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 catechism into a living voice. So that's kind of like the mission of what we're doing. Uh, things that also get me very excited about this project uh, and that I want to share with you and your audience is that it's a it's an apostolate and it's a global apostolate. So what I mean by that is that all the content is free. So we wanted these to be a gift to the church secretly. I guess by sharing it with you is not a secret, but. You know, our team you know, our goal is to, to at some point, if God permits you know, um, you know, shake uh, Pope Francis' hand and as a symbolic way that this was a gift for the church. So that's really a, a, not, not that we want to be famous, but we just we really want this to be a gift to the church. So we were able to get funding from our Sunday visitor and, and they decided in a very generous way to fund this project so we can make it available for free uh, to the world.
1: That's awesome. And we
0: decided to to start with four languages. So this is very unique. Most projects that are done, at least in the US, they don't tend to be of that global scope. They tend to be more of a the market in the US, so they tend to be Spanish and English. But we're doing Spanish, English, Portuguese, and French. So when I looked at the views, uh, you know, the you know YouTube analytics, you know, like my heart just like jumped in, in joy when I saw you know Senegal and like when I see some countries in Latin America that are consuming these. This content in these different languages, because that's what we wanted. We we see these videos. This is not a program. This is not a curriculum. You have to sign up and implement. These are just resources that that could be used in parishes and schools. Parents, um, you know, just everyday evangelists can use them to share the faith with their coworkers and and family members and loved ones and neighbors. Uh, we see people just encountering them online. You know, when they're looking for a certain topic. So, so we just want this to be a gift to the church, and 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 you know. So we we would love for a lot of people to know about it and use them as they see fit, and for God to use this project for His greater glory.
1: Well, it's it's kind of like a, a catechism media company in a way, right? I mean, to use the Vox analogy, cause that's what you're doing. I mean, you're creating stories, you're creating them in a bunch of different formats, you're distributing them in a kind of you know trans media way. Um, and you're getting analytics and feedback from the audience so that you can inform what and how you make. I mean fundamentally, you know that is Vox or any of these you know <laughs> companies, but it's the mindset that's interesting right that's the novel part it's how you're approaching it and what you're using as the backdrop for it, right Not necessarily this maybe more um, uh, you know institutional kind of church or clerical or you know even traditionally catechetical starting point but a starting point of story and a starting mm-hmm. point of of engagement and like you know all these things that are you know frankly they're like Facebook metrics or Instagram <laughs> you know me- language but i think that's what really makes it um what makes it super interesting and we'll have um in the show notes uh links to that particular video but also obviously links to um, the entire, uh, you know, media company, Apostolate, so that people can, uh, people can check it out. But uh, I think it's, yeah, it's really, really awesome work. Um, Edmundo, an hour goes fast, as it always does. Um, so we're kind of at the top of our time. But I wanted to, uh, you know, in addition to real and true, I want people to, to know you, right? And to know your other founders and, and ways to kind of track what's happening here, and be involved and follow the work that you're doing. Like what? What's the best way for them to be apprised of everything that's going on in your world?
0: Yeah, thank you, Deacon, for that opportunity to share what God has invited me to be part of. So, so maybe a couple of things. So, one of the so my full time job is be the communications director for the Archives of Detroit, and and it's such a great honor to serve Archbishop Vigneron. He's the vice president of the USCCB at this moment. Uh, he's a great leader, a great uh, evangelist himself. Even though he he never thought he would be an evangelist uh, uh, before being a bishop and being called to this work. Um, but it's a great honor to serve him. He appointed me, so I didn't apply for the job. He just asked me to be his communications director, which is a great honor. Um, and, you know, if we truly believe that the, the bishops are the successors to the apostle. It's hard to say no to an invitation like that. So I, sure. I consulted with my wife, but I was already signed up at the moment he invited me. Uh, so if you want to check out what we do, so we approach communications very differently. And I think it, your listeners will find it very refreshing. You can go to UnleashTheGospel.org. So this is um, the, some of the most exciting things that we're doing as a diocese. So UnleashTheGospel.org. And it's the fruit of a, a synod that happened in, 19, in uh, 2016. So, you know, as you may have heard, Deacon, or you know, Deacon, you know, the church is going into this uh, synodal process, right? Synod of synodality. Uh, so we had our own experience uh, in, in 2016, and, and there's so many fruits of, of that exercise of listening to the Holy Spirit. Our synod was on the new evangelization, right? On how is God calling us to be a missionary diocese? So Unleash the Gospel is is what, you know, using marketing term, is our brand for, I mean, it's, an old, it's a pastoral document, but it's also a lifestyle brand for missionary disciples. So we have a lot of content, videos, uh, articles. I mean, it's just very dynamic, and it's very different from what you'll see. So... You know, you can also go to the, the, the official Archdiocesan website to see some of the other work that we do. And we're very blessed in Detroit. We have one of the largest uh, communications team in the country, and, and we are very active. So you could see some of the work that, that I get to uh, be part of. I have a great team, and I'm very, very blessed by being part of it. Uh, also, a couple of years ago, I founded uh, co-founded with, with uh, two other friends, Tim Klemkowski and Dan Rogers, a ministry called uh, um, Revive Parishes sure and uh, so you can go to ReviveParishes.com, I believe and uh, you'll find this is uh, also a free resource so we got some funding from a Catholic donor and and these really is a collection of, of, of videos that from the best you know in the business you know in the church business um, and they basically teach in their master class so it's a great resource it's available online and 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 soon it'll be available also on on um, um, form uh, platform from the Augustine Institute, so that's another way to see the type of work that I've been part of, and I'm very proud of.
1: Awesome. In addition, of course, to Real and True, which we will we'll yeah, Real on. True,
0: and you know that is a work of many, many people. I'm very proud of uh, working with Emily Mentok and Edmund Mitchell, and uh, so the three of us are the co-founders. But we have an excellent team of, of, of uh, like you said, you know, uh, creatives and strategists and marketers that are behind these, and the support of our Sunday Visitor, and that's at RealTrue.org. Awesome,
1: thanks for that. Okay, Edmundo, I know you've heard the show, so um, we're gonna play a little game called Wait What? Are you ready (laughs) to play? Yes. All right, very good. Here goes, question number one. Edmundo, Monterrey, one of your hometowns in the state of Nuevo Leon, translated in English to the King Hill or King Mount, a name that was given it in 1596 and has stood the test of time. But what many people don't know is that Monterrey was not the original name. <laughs> 20 years before, in 1577, the town was first founded and given a name in honor of the female patron saint, a female patron saint from the fourth century. Who was she? <laughs>
0: uh, oh my goodness. Um, maybe something La Purissima, because there's these big pairs there. Is, is, that, is that right?
1: Sadly, that is incorrect. <laughs> the original name that was given to the town in 1577, a full 20 years before it was given the name Monterrey, was saint santa lucia so it was actually santa named lucia, after of course it was named after saint lucy of syracuse yeah 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 yeah, so, yeah um, there's
0: this uh river that is saint, saint santa lucia well you know you archbishop go. gomez is from Monterrey, so of you, course you, i do of if course. he ever listens to this episode i'm not think he will but he'll be very uh well, he won't be very proud of me. <laughs>
1: he does. He does listen to the show, so I have to. I have to. Uh, we'll see when he when he gets to this one. If not, I'll mention it to him. But uh, of course, yeah. I know.
0: I'm sure he knows it, so uh, he knows the answer. Uh, he, he probably does. Yeah. All right. Very good.
1: <laughs> Ro- a rocky start Edmundo. We'll see if we can regain our composure here. Question number two. Okay. Question number two. Which of these is false about the current Catechism? Okay, which is false about the addition of the catechism we have right now. A, the catechism was composed exclusively by pastors and excluded all scholars in its writing. B, the original commission, which was charged with the creation of the document, was made up of twelve bishops in honor of the twelve apostles, and those twelve bishops selected seven assistants for the project in honor of the first seven deacons. Or C, When it was first commissioned in 1986, the working documents were in Latin, but after finding that those didn't translate, the language was switched to Italian. Which of those is false?
0: I'm thinking it's the first one that you mentioned.
1: The catechism was composed exclusively by pastors and excluded all scholars in its writing. No, Edmundo, that's actually true it was oh. composed by pastors in <laughs> fact that was one of the 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 dimensions that our holy father at the time wanted this to have is to have a very pastoral bent. in fact you know uh, obviously coming out of a, the second vatican council is a pastoral council and a lot of the, the teachings that are reflected in it but yeah it, it did not have any scholars uh. academics in its in its writing the correct answer is c when it was first mm. commissioned indeed it was written in latin but when they chose to change it to another language they chose french Not Italian to translate Mm -hmm. it. All right. Okay, I'm I'm sorry, Deacon. It's. I'm
0: learning. I'm learning. It's okay. It's okay.
1: You can. You can make. You can make it up. (laughs) You can make it up to me and everybody else listening. Okay, ready? Because there's always Edmundo. There's always a time machine question. Okay, so this one's easy. So you get to travel back to Cologne, Germany, in 2005. Okay. now, Cologne, Germany in 2005 was the site of the last Catholic World Youth Day before the launch of the iPhone. The iPhone launched in 2007, as you know, by a stroke of divine grace, you're invited to speak about technology and faith at one of the various stages in front of millions of young people. Now, knowing as you do as a marketer and digital media specialist, the impact, both positive and negative, that the smartphone will have on the globe, especially among young people, do you give the people in Cologne, Germany in 2005 a prophetic message, and if so, what do you tell them?
0: Hmm. Wow, that's a very, very good question. I ended up visiting uh, the cathedral there, so I, picturing myself in that area. Um, I uh, yeah I would definitely talk about the the realities to come of a both more connected world but also more isolated world and how God is a God mm. of relationships and how we need to as a church and as missionary disciples need to be aware of the of the opportunities and the pitfalls that these new technology is gonna bring. But you know the gospel is about relationships and 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 we have an opportunity or 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 not you know to to use the, these uh, these new technologies
1: great answer you rebounded in style Edmundo very nice job you rescued uh, defeat from the I'm sorry victory from the jaws of defeat so uh, very very good job thank you uh, Deacon Edmundo, on a serious level, uh, you know, God bless and prosper all of your work that you're doing. Um, I think it's really special. I, um, I really do hope that that vision that you have for what you're trying to do across your various um, you know, ministries and apostolates and your work in Detroit as well, but specifically with Real and True, I, I, do, I do pray that that vision is realized and uh, it wouldn't surprise me one bit. If you're uh, shaking the Holy Father's hand and uh, and he's thanking you for what you've helped to bring to the world, so uh, that'll be in my prayers.
0: Thank you so much, Zeke. and This has been a great, great uh, hour here with you and opportunity to talk about this project and to get to know you a bit.
1: Great to have you on the show. And if you're listening to our voices, make sure to subscribe to this show, share it with someone you love, help it to grow, and we'll see you again next time on Living the Call. If you enjoyed this episode of Living the Call, please remember to subscribe and give us a five-star review. Tell someone you love about the show and spread the word. Living the Call is available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You can learn more about the organization behind the show by searching for the Catholic Association of Latino Leaders on any social platform or by going directly to call-usa.org. That's C-A-L-L-U-S-A dot Living the Call is produced by Manu Kasten and Diego Carranza and our friends at Juan Diego Networks. God bless you, and thank you for listening.